The world's population has grown to 8 billion people. As a society, how we keep up with the increasing need for electricity while addressing our climate goals is a growing challenge. Renewable energies like wind and solar are part of the solution, but we also need full-time sources of clean power when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing. That's where existing and advanced nuclear energy comes in. Nuclear is clean air energy, and it's reliable and available 24-7. Plus, nuclear energy generates thousands of times more power using a fraction of the land that wind and solar would need. Energy Northwest is proud to provide clean, abundant, and reliable energy to help meet our growing needs. Learn more about nuclear energy and its full potential at energy-northwest.com. That's energy-northwest.com. Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up, and with me is my co-host and the editor of News Data's California Energy Markets, Jason Fordney. We're here with some of the top stories that we've been reporting on lately. Uh, Jason, how are you doing? Doing very well, Dan. Digging out from more snow here in NorCal and uh, it's looking beautiful, but uh, yeah, doing great. Well, that, wow, snow. We've got uh, a beautiful sunny day up here in Seattle. Nice. The cat on my desk cold. curled up in the sun. It it's is. Cold, it, right? it is yeah. chilly outside, but uh, <laughs> beautiful and sunny. Good to hear that. Good, good. Yeah. It's chilly here, oh. too. So, yeah, still. <laughs> Before we get started on stories, I want to tell listeners about a webinar that we that's coming up in February. It's called The Road Ahead, The Implications of Gas Vehicle Sale Bans for Washington and Oregon's Power Grids. You can find more information at our website, newsdata.com, black, backslash C-O-N-F. Again, newsdata.com, backslash C-O-N-F. It's uh, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Pacific time, February 21st. Uh, go to the website and check it out. So wh- what do you have for us this week? All right. Uh, well, I've got some news about Diablo Canyon, the nuclear power plant in California, and some uh, sort of bad news for PG&E from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And I'll be talking about California Energy Commission approving $124 million in new uh, zero-emission vehicle programs. And then finally, I'll be discussing... Um, SRP, Salt River Projects, plan to expand its Coolidge natural gas plant. Um, got some bad news on that, a court decision. Well, I'll, I'll get into that a little bit. And I can't help think of President Calvin Coolidge every time you say that phrase. I like that. Very yeah. historic of you. <laughs> yeah, well, you what's, can you tell us one thing about the, Calvin Coolidge? So moving on to my stories. <laughs> So I've got uh, okay. another story about Coal Strip, which I'm sure listeners might be sick of hearing about. Um, but Pacific Core is uh, expanding or delaying its plans to get out of Coal Strip. And then uh, got an interesting conversation with uh, one of the top EV planners in the Northwest about some of the challenges the region is facing long term. And then a little bit of optimism to balance out the bad news that Jason's reporting, um, a little bit of optimism in the progress for Columbia River Treaty negotiations. So all right. with all that to look forward to, uh, let's get started with Diablo Canyon. What, uh, yeah, what's the bad news for PG&E? 
Well, uh, PG&E wanted the Nuclear Regulatory Commission to take up a, a license application that they had actually filed back in 2009 for Diablo Canyon. As we've been reporting, they want to keep this plant open now, or actually the state does. But NRC, January 24th, sent notice to the utility it will not take up that license application and will require them to start from scratch with a new one. This could potentially be bad news uh, if, you know, this takes too long. Um, the plant's due to go offline in 24, 25, pretty, pretty narrow window to get this license application approved. And also, PG&E asked for the plant to be able to stay open while the application is being considered. NRC has not ruled on that yet. This decision, I did uh, I talked to NRC about a couple things. For one, this might be obvious, but they don't they don't look at reliability of the grid. They don't care about any of that. All they care about is safety and environmental impacts over 20 years. So it doesn't matter if the grid is harmed by NRC going. Also, you know, as far as political pressure, this decision is made by NRC staff. The the commission itself would only get involved if there's hearings um, or if there's any appeals. So an interesting situation there. And it also wants some more information um, from PG&E about that application. This comes right after the California Public Utilities Commission uh, began its proceeding to explore keeping the plant online, legislation, etc. So, uh, yeah, this license application, like I said, had been filed back in 2009. PG&E eventually withdrew it in March 2018. So, yeah, one interesting, I'm one interesting thing I'm going to be taking a look at this week is when PG&E shut this plant down, they said it, it's going to cause overgeneration. The big story then was. We had too much energy capacity in California that has obviously changed. So, yeah, it uh, looks like PG&E will have to start from scratch, and uh, we'll see if this affects the plans to keep that plant open. So other than nuclear, you've got some coal news from us for, for us about the coal strip plant, correct? Yeah. So Pacific Core, uh, when so with the announcement recently that uh, Northwestern Energy was taking more of a Vista's or taking over a Vista's share in the coal-powered coal strip power plant or coal-fired coal strip power plant, uh, the same day they announced that uh, planned transfer of ownership after a Vista exits, Pacific Core, one of the other one of the six owners of the plant, announced that it is pushing back its planned exit date from the end of 2025 to 2029. And it's not a huge difference, but the importance here is that the end of 2025, the Washington legislatures uh, in the Clean Energy Transformation Act said that is a mandate for getting coal-fired resources out of their electricity allocation, I believe is the phrase that was used in the uh, legislation. Advocates say that means you can't use, or decarbonization advocates say that that means you can't use coal-fired resources for electricity in, in Washington. Pacific Core says, hey, look, it's not going to be, it's going to be fully depreciated. It is not going to be in our rates. It's not going to be in our resource portfolio. We can use the electricity from it, but we can't charge customers from it. Wow. So this, uh, I think we can safely assume this will be headed for a legal fight. Uh Sure, if, or at least certainly 
some sort of fight. Uh, but it's been interesting to see how that legislation, uh, the acronym CETA, Clean Energy Transformation Act, has played out setting this 2025, in December 31st, 2025, uh, mandate for exiting coal-fired resources. So far, we've seen Puget Sound Energy and Avista agree to transfer their ownership stakes in coal strip to the two owners, Talon Energy and Northwestern Energy in Montana, uh, the two of the six owners that want to keep the plant operating after 2026 and for the foreseeable future. So just to recap, because there's like a lot that I just threw out there. Uh, so there's four owners that ha- are under a mandate to get out of coal in the, in the next few years. Two owners, Talon and Northwestern, have no mandate. They want to keep the plant running as long as they can. Uh, so these state yeah. policy mandates, so far we've seen two of those four owners come up with transfer uh, ownership transfer agreements to uh, you know, that'll mean their stake in the plant could keep operating past the mandate. Hmm. They, uh, they'll be out of it, but others will keep operating. And now Pacific Corps has delayed its uh, exit date, so that leaves Portland General Electric. Uh, it's the only one that hasn't come out with updating its plans. Last it said is that it will be fully depreciated and it plans to exit at the end of 2025. That said, it's uh, when I've asked them before, they've said you know they're looking at what their options are. So hmm. we'll see. But well, certainly, I'm sure there will be plenty of uh, legal issues to write about down the road. Yeah, I can't imagine the state's going to like uh, Pacific Core's interpretation very much on that point. Well, we'll see. I don't know. I asked somebody at the UTC, the Washington uh, Commission, Regulatory Commission, mm-hmm. and the spokeswoman said, hey, look, it only says electrical allocation, so what they're doing, as far as we're concerned, is okay. All right. Basically, it was the short of it. And one of the sponsors of the legislation uh, said, hey, look, we just want them out of out of coal, we understand like they, that might mean that they have to give it to somebody else who keeps operating it. But long-term this will decarbonize the system faster. Uh, You know, other legislatures have said in the past have been very upset about these plans. So we'll see, but it'll be worth watching. Coal strips, a big coal plant uh, at various times in recent years um, has finished second in terms of emissions in the West for coal-fired wow. resources. So it is yeah. not an insignificant plant. Um, so it means a lot for the Northwestern grid and for the amount of coal or carbon emissions. Yeah. Interesting. Well, um, yeah, that's a, that's a big emitter and um, looks like it's going to be here for a while. Indeed. Um, so... Speaking of emissions, you have a story about funding for zero emissions programs. Yep. California Energy Commission. This is also last week reporting by Ann Ernst. They have uh, handed out $124 million for ZEV projects, uh, at, including ZEV chargers at military bases, rural area, in rural areas, and in disadvantaged communities and some incentives for residential builders to construct all electric homes. Um, so, yeah, the, the commission approved more than $9.6 million in grants or contracts to multiple organizations to develop ZEV charger infrastructure at military bases. 
An agreement with uh, U.S. Department of Energy's Lawrence Berkeley National Lab approved a $1.5 million contract to develop ZEV charger infrastructure at six military bases. So we'll be seeing some more ZEV chargers there. Also in rural areas, I noticed we, we have a, a target coming to Grass Valley, which is big news for the community. And it's also going to have a bank of Tesla chargers. So starting to see more chargers out in areas like where I live. Also, the CEC's Clean Transportation Program Rural EV Charging Initiative will provide more than $3 million to three companies that will install ZEV chargers in rural areas, especially in low-income areas. Those went to Freewire Technologies, Venture Energy, and ChargePoint. Um, millions of dollars again there. And then for the Electric Homes Program, TRC Engineers was selected to be the third-party administrator of grant funding of up to $58 million dollars to be distributed as incentives for all electric buildings and energy storage systems in new market rate residential construction in California, almost $10 million in administrative costs. So more money from the energy commission and uh, ZEV infrastructure, of course, a big topic now and the state realizing it's going to need a lot more. Speaking of ZEVs, what's going up in Washington state? We had a good Q&A last week. Tell us about that. Yeah. uh, Well, this was... So our reporter, Greg Mason, sat down with Pacific Corps, one of Pacific Corps' top guys on uh, electric vehicles, Jamie Campbell, who's the Director of Innovation and Sustainability Policy at Pacific Corps. So they sat down and talked about what some of the long-term challenges are for utilities in electrifying transportation. It was really fascinating Q&A that we wrote up. I highly encourage listeners to go check it out, newsdata.com. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I thought was really interesting, so um, Campbell said that they aren't really worried about residential EVs, that for now, at least, you know, he said once you get to 50% saturation, that becomes an issue for infrastructure and having to expand to uh, either, well, either add uh, you know, transmission and other infrastructure or add demand response programs to be able to modulate load as necessary. Uh, so, you know, either once you get yeah 50% in like a, in an area that that's kind of the major threshold. But the thing he said that keeps him up at night is not light duty trucking or personal cars, uh, electrification of that stuff, but, uh, big transportation, big trucks, big fleets, that kind of thing, where especially with those big trucks that you're going to need you know, megawatt-sized chargers. He said that is really going to be the big challenge for utilities, uh, and especially since trucking goes everywhere. Um, yeah. This is not going to be something, it's going to have to be big infrastructure that's going to have to be built far and wide. Yeah. Because, you know, think about how... Everything in this country depends at some point, almost everything that we material thing depends on being put in a container and put put on a truck and hauled somewhere. So that is going to be a huge lift. Absolutely. You look at the like this, what was said here, the, the, the draws, the electrical draws on these things are massive. And if you have a fleet, you know, trying to charge all at once and then, yeah, what when you go to deliver that load of uh you know, corn to 
Montana or whatever. That's probably a bad example. You know, will there be chargers there? I just, man, it's going to be a big transition. Yeah. I mean, especially, can you imagine what this is going to mean for, uh, like, um, ports like Long Beach or Tacoma, yeah. Seattle, Oakland, mm-hmm. or Oakland? I mean, just the number of trucks going in and out of those places every day. Yes. Which is why some places like Seattle, Port of Seattle uh, and Seattle City Light are working with Maritime here uh, to look at hydro or hydrogen fuel cell mm-hmm. uh, options for trucking, which is another fuel source that gets tossed around. So, yes, been writing about uh, hydrogen quite a bit. Fascinating time to live in, isn't it? It really is. In the West. It really is. Yep. But uh, not so fascinating uh, for Salt River Project. You've got they got some bad news lately on their uh, Coolidge expansion plans. Right. It's been going on for some time. Salt River Project has been wanting to add 16 natural gas peaking units to its Coolidge generating station near Randolph, Arizona. Big problems with the local community. It's a historically black community who says that's why the plan is there in the first place. They do not want it expanded. What happened was Maricopa County Superior Court on January 20th affirmed a previous ruling of the Arizona Corporation Commission, which denied um, the, the utility, the permit to expand this plant. It's about an hour away from Phoenix. Um, yeah, SRP had obviously appealed this ACC decision. They said they're disappointed. Um, spokesperson Erica Rolfs said SRP is reviewing its legal options and will, quote, continue to address the resource challenge it creates for serving our customers with reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy. Um, so, yes, this has been going on for some time. These these are flexible, fast-ramping uh, LM6000 units built by GE. And SRP says they actually need this to support integration of renewables. But the ACC doesn't buy that. And, uh, yeah, I think they'll continue to see this project litigated. And so some bad news for SRP yeah. right there. But uh, maybe you have some good news about for us about Columbia River Tree. You said maybe a little bit more yeah. optimism. Yeah. So uh, after five years of negotiations on the Columbia River Treaty, it sounds like both sides, the U.S. government and the Canadian government, might be getting close to agreeing in principle to some of the major issues uh, at stake here. And the Columbia River Treaty manages its has uh, it critical for hydropower operations and flood control, among other things like irrigation and whatnot. But the two major things are flood control and hydropower. Uh, you know, who can release water when, how much water, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so this is of you know, huge importance to the power industries in British Columbia and the Northwest. So uh, they've been, I don't I, I want to say uh, they've been working on this. Let's. I was going to say they've been more yeah. making progress, but I don't know that we can say that. they've been working on this on negotiations going back to 2018, and then recently earlier this month, in January, uh, depending on when you guys listen to this, in January, uh, the U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for the Western Hemisphere for Western Hemisphere Hemisphere Affairs, Ryan Nichols, mm-hmm. uh, put out a tweet 
saying that uh, with the 15th round of negotiations in Canada next week, our goal remains a modernized treaty regime for the Columbia River Basin. We see an opportunity to reach an agreement in principle by summer 2023, benefiting the environment and future generations in the Pacific Northwest. And then that same day, uh, one of Canada's top officials, uh, the British Columbia minister responsible for the treaty negotiations, Katrine Conroy, uh, replied, the progress we've seen during the past year gives us reason to be optimistic. In the past 12 months, Canada and U.S. have held three rounds of negotiations as well as technical meetings, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so this is a major signal that things could be moving along and we could real, really see some progress here. So it's Great. taken a while, uh, and but hopefully... They'll get it wrapped up before uh, those key flood control provisions that expire in 2024. So there's some urgency mm -hmm. to getting these issues resolved. And so as uh, they still have yet to talk to the public, Canadian negotiating team would engage with residents and stakeholders in British Columbia. Yeah, they've, they're, they're having some informational sessions January 30th and then February 2nd. So depending on when people listen to this, there might be more information out about it. And there's certainly, you know, stay tuned for our reporting from Casey Mahaffey, uh, you, which you can check at newsdata.com. Excellent. Sounds good. Well, that's, that's all for me. Me too. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in for another week. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen or pass this on to a friend. Energy West is edited and produced by our colleagues at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucky Sound Studios. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at DCatchpole. I'm on Twitter at Fordney Energy. You can read more of our content at newsdata.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.